welcome back to the Aquatic Mentors podcast. Again, I'm your host, Katrina Van Eyck, and today we're going to bring you something really special. Well, it's actually over two days. We're going to have a two-part series. So welcome to our special two-part series. And in these two episodes, we're going to be talking to a lovely lady who's been shaped by her New Zealand and Chinese heritage. She's a double degree in international business and German language. She spent a decade working in corporate banking and founded the Westpac Chinese Language and Cultural Group. In 2018, she was the winner of the Westpac Institutional Bank Partnership Award for Leadership. And in 2019, she was a finalist for the Institutional Bank Community Champion Award. Now, I hope I've said that right. And then she was also a nominee for the Pro Bono Australia 2019 Impact 25 Awards. Now, to top that year off, to top off 2019, in October, she was an international delegate at the World Conference for Drowning Prevention, which was held in South Africa. She's now the founder and head coach of The Swim Project, which is a social enterprise which empowers and equips cultural diverse adults to swim and translates the courage they learn in the water to the courage that they can use in all areas of life. So welcome to the podcast, Jacqueline Wong. And I have listed, and I've just listed some of your amazing achievements, but I would like to find out where your swimming journey started. I grew up in Wellington and swimming was part of my life from a very young age, probably since I was a baby. Mm. Parents exposed me to the water very young. They made sure I had every opportunity to learn to swim from a young age. We had family holidays. (laughs) Because I was around water a lot, I felt comfortable around water. So I didn't have any specific fear of the water as a kid. I had a very good instructor throughout my school years. And this is outside of normal school classes. The school classes were kind of like a bonus, I think, because we had such a large number of students in a class. It was impossible to actually have those quality classes where you're focusing on technique. And so my instructor, Dougal Dunlop in Wellington, (laughs) he was a very strict teacher, but he was very patient. And I always remember whenever we swam breaststroke, I got to go to the front of the class. (laughs) I always led because breaststroke was my best stroke. And I was really excited about that but my my weakest area of swimming was actually learning to dive and I had a fear of putting my head down and diving into the pool with my head down but I remember Dougal you know he actually coached my siblings and I my cousins all of my school friends as well as my mum and her two sisters oh fantastic my mum my aunties all learned together as mature adults after they had kids so it's, it's a really special relationship with my coach and I'm still in touch with him now so he knows that I've become a swim instructor <laughs> and have my own business and I, I share the stories with him and we exchange ideas and stories and some of the challenges so he's still teaching in Wellington and I feel really happy that I had such a significant role model in swimming in my life not only my parents but also my swim instructor because he was involved in that swim journey for so many generations in my own family but also all my friends so it brings you together all my cousins we, we all had the same teacher so I think it says something about him but also the fact that I've now almost accidentally fell into swim coaching to be honest but the fact that I've gone down that route and discovered the 
that passion, I think is also rewarding for him because it's such an important life skill. It'd show for him that the passion and the persistence that he put into you and the talent he saw in you and your family, that you're paying that back to him and paying that forward to other people as well. It'd be amazing to see that journey happen of what he's made and then you're then passing it on to others. Definitely. I always saw swimming as a way to keep fit. So, you know, swimming's been part of my whole life. I've encouraged friends to go swimming with me. There was one summer we were working on a vineyard in between university semesters down in Otago. And we went to the vineyards to work over summer and then would finish the day around four and then head to the lake and go for a swim. (laughs) And, you know, naturally when you're with a large group of friends and having fun, things do get a little bit adventurous. (laughs) So there might have been a few challenges jumping off the bridge into water and, you know, having a bit of fun racing each other and things like that. But, you know, that's part of growing up. Swimming was part of growing up in New Zealand for me. And I loved the way water has almost like a therapeutic impact on me. I turned to swimming when I was happy, when I was stressed, when I needed to clear my head just to gain some clarity if I was making a big decision and just to let things go from a busy day at work. Swimming was always there. Swimming was like a rock in my my life, a foundation, and I could always turn to it and swim and I'd feel better afterwards. Such a good way to keep fit, but also maintain your mental health and well-being. It's amazing, isn't it? I feel the exact same way. I know if I've got a big decision or if I'm upset about something, to jump in that pool and just swim where you can think about nothing else or you can concentrate on your technique makes my mind a lot clearer and it's a lot easier to see things. And I always come out and it feels like a weight's lifted off your shoulders. So I'm glad someone else feels that way. Yeah. (laughs) And I think swimming has almost always been an area of discovery because swimming forms the basis of all water sports. Because swimming was a huge part of my life and still is, then I discovered all these ways that I could learn all these other water sports And because swimming was my foundation, the water sports were a lot of fun. So for example, I learned to surf. I still remember standing up and and riding my first wave, uh, also in Dunedin, (laughs) probably the coldest place you can even think of. Uh, I remember that feeling of paddling out and it was a lot of hard work, like physically really grueling in surfing. But I'd paddle out and then my friend would push me on the surfboard and I would just try and stand up and ride the wave in. And I still remember that euphoria. <laughs> it was a euphoric moment where you stood up and you're just riding that wave in all the way to the shore. And there's nothing like it. And I couldn't have done that without being confident in the water and knowing how the ocean worked and actually having a bit of a humility and respect, like a healthy respect towards the ocean because it's unpredictable. So knowing, making a bit of a judgment call on when to go out and when not to go out, even if you wanted to get in the ocean. I think a lot of people in Australia maybe lack that judgment or are not aware of the risks of being in the ocean, no matter how shallow they are. So that's something that I've also been reminded of in my life a a couple of times, actually, and it kind of has shaken me and kind of awakened me and I've been had a bit of a fright and then gone, okay, I'm okay. (laughs) I made it and I still love the ocean. It, It hasn't knocked my confidence that much because I've had that lifelong foundation. So actually what I wanted to share was my 
I guess, my origin story. And I had always thought that the origin of the swim project started in Melbourne after I arrived in Melbourne and went paddle boarding for the first time and met a woman who sat on the shore and didn't come near the water because she was terrified of the ocean. And the rest of us paddled out and had fun for an hour on the water. And it was a beautiful summer day. And I felt really bad that she missed out. I really was curious as to why she didn't come with us. And when I asked her, she told me that she'd had two near drowning experiences and was traumatized. And that really shook me. And this was someone I'd only just met. And to hear her story was enough to kind of go, okay, well, what can I do? But as I've been reflecting this year, I realized that the true seed (laughs) was planted in New Zealand when I complained up for my first ever ocean swim. And my initial plan was to sign up for the 2.8k King of the Bays swim. You follow the bays. So it was a fairly good swim. It was a, a decent distance challenging enough for any swimmer but it was within my comfort zone but my colleague he heard that I'd signed up for an ocean swim and he said to me Jackie you need to give yourself a challenge I don't think you're pushing yourself hard enough you need to sign up for this Auckland Central Masters ocean swim which is 4.6k And I nearly doubled the distance. <laughs> and it's you took a boat to Rangitoto Island and swam all the way back to St. Helier's Bay. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I said, no way. I'm not signing up for a 4.6K. This is my first ever ocean swim. And... <laughs> I wanted to succeed and he persisted every single day for the next like two weeks to encourage me to sign up for this ocean race that was 4.6k and he had done it the previous year so he knew of the distance and I said no (laughs) and then eventually my no turned into a yes and he put the application form on my desk and said, here you go. <laughs> so I jump on this boat. I, we take the boat out to Rangitoto Island. I have no idea what I've got myself into. The most I trained in the pool was 4K. And I did a couple of ocean swims, but not 4.8K. So on the way, I started asking some of the other competitors what their ocean swim experience was, <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just to suss out the competition and see what I was in for. And I got... Um, is like, oh, I've done, you know, Iron Man, Iron Woman, triathlons, multiple ocean swim masters races, because this was one of a series and I hadn't done any of them. So yeah, I'm definitely way in over my head. We get in the water and I'm treading water, waiting for the herder to go. And I got stung by a jellyfish. <gasps> at the beginning of the race before the hooter had even started and I didn't I was wearing a full wetsuit but I didn't realize it was a jellyfish at the time I just felt a sting on my wrist and then the hooter goes a couple of seconds later so I just ignored the sting and off I go start swimming 15 minutes into the race I couldn't see any other swimmers they all kind of dispersed and there wasn't really any line to follow or any boys to kind of keep you going straight and my colleague had told me after I signed up for the race 
race. Oh, by the way, halfway through the race, the horizon disappears. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And sure enough, like it did. I couldn't see the horizon. So you had nothing to aim for. Like you just had to swim and hope you're going straight. I ended up going in a zigzag because my sighting technique probably wasn't the best. And I think I made it to about 3K. There were boat crossings and it was getting a bit choppy. You're exposed in the middle of the ocean. It's quite lonely. And I could see a couple of kayakers, like the lifeguards, out of the corner of my eye. And at about 3K, physically, I hit a wall. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I had a bit of doubt. I was getting a bit anxious. The breath started getting a little bit rocky. I was starting to feel that anxiety and I switched to breaststroke for a little while. I had one voice in my head going, just put your hand up, get a ride the rest of the way to the shore. It'll be okay. And then the other voice in my head was going, don't give up, just keep swimming, just keep breathing. You can do it. That voice won because at the end of the day, I had the swim skills to survive. Every swim that I did in my entire life, all those classes equipped me for that moment in the ocean. When I was feeling a bit anxious and unsure, of myself worst case scenario I could flip on my back and just take a breath and rest but what I realized was how grateful I am to have those tools and to have those survival skills to be able to do that and keep myself calm and I pushed through so I made it to the end although I ended up a bit closer to the cliffs when I got out of the water I realized the finish line was 100 meters further down on the beach so I had to sprint on the sand with jelly legs (laughs) down to the the finish line where I knew my friends were waiting for me and I could also see a couple of swimmers still swimming so I thought to myself I'm not the last one <laughs> I was like I was so that made me sort of run faster and my friends were waiting for me at the finish line but looking back at that experience that was probably the most physically and mentally grueling swimming race and probably challenge ever that I've actually done and I realized that being able to put push through that and keep myself strong despite that fear and knowing that I had the tools to do that was so valuable and I just wouldn't want anyone to be in that situation and not have those tools so that for me is my origin story like that is really where seed was planted because I realized that that courage in the water that I displayed and for myself that I had to show up for myself and actually coach myself through that moment of anxiety. And that has actually put me in good stead for facing any challenges throughout the rest of my life that followed after that. And I guess my relationship with swimming in the ocean has only gotten deeper because I have both that passion and knowledge of those skills, but equally I have this respect and humility towards the ocean. I've experienced the work of it that was one experience but I've also been in a situation where I was surfing and caught in a rip and actually got saved by a lifeguard so I've experienced the tumultuous and scary moment where you felt out of control so that I think a combination of that has really helped me in my teaching because I can actually communicate why swimming is important to learn and why it should be treated as a lifelong education. Education.
That's amazing. It takes, it's all of your life. It's involved in everything. And if you've got that basics of swimming, you can then do so much with it, with your confidence. And like you have just thrown yourself out there and gone, well, I'll do it and see what happens. You've achieved so much. You can really see that in yourself, that respect and that knowledge you have from the experiences, but also the respect you have for the water is ingrained in yourself. Amazing being able to be empathetic to what these swimmers are going through in your swim school. If they are coming to you, they're scared of the water. You have had that challenge yourself. You know what works and what's the next step. And then you can be empathetic for them and sort of guide them through it a lot easier. And they can understand that you know what they're talking about. Exactly. I remember not long after the paddleboarding experience and I met that woman who didn't know how to swim, I went and did the bronze medallion pool life-saving qualification. That was amazing. You know, it was a two-day course and I remember actually performing the rescue. So we had to swim 50 meters and then rescue someone and then tow them back another 50 meters. And I remember when I I did that I actually had a smile on my face <laughs> even though you know, at the time it's quite challenging having to tow someone back on their back and they're quite heavy in the water but I remember that also ignited something in me about how valuable the skill is and because swimming has been such a huge part of my life I almost feel the sense of responsibility to share it it doesn't make sense for me to have had such a good relationship with water and swimming and for it to be such an important part of my life but not be able to share the joy that I've found in swimming with other people and if I can help people find that joy in the water then even for one person then that would be rewarding enough but the fact is there are a lot of people who are scared to even talk about their swimming experiences or traumatic swimming experiences for that matter and so those stories really need to be nurtured out of them that it's almost like they have this shame and embarrassment about having had a traumatic incident or never learning to swim and instead of it being embarrassing I want people to know that actually they're not the only ones in that position from my conversations it became evident just how many people are in this situation and from my experience I'm talking about adults I'm not talking about kids although for my training as a teacher I worked at a pool when I was teaching kids but for adults it's that shame and embarrassment and just that reservation of putting themselves outside their comfort zone or being triggered by the water so for me that empathy is really important and I think the summer of 2018 to 19 was such a horrific summer in terms of the number of drownings I was tracking the summer drowning toll which Royal Life Saving Australia records and makes public on their website. And I believe it was close to 118 drownings between the 1st of December 2018 and the end of February 2019. And there was one particular story that I remember just broke me. I was I was at home and I was reading this article about uh, a young boy. He went swimming with his friends, and I think it was in a it was either a river or lake. And he was actually standing in the water, maybe like chest level. And then within a couple of seconds, he started struggling and then he yelled out, I need help. And then he just disappeared and he, he drowned. And I remember there was a comment from one of 
his friends that said, I never knew he didn't know how to swim. He never told me. Wow. And that broke me because if an adult holds back the fact that they can't even swim to their closest friends, that is a huge fear. And for them not to even mention it at all with their closest friends and they go to the lake and people assume that each other can swim and they don't even question it because you live in Australia. So it's an assumption. But what we really need to be doing is saying, okay, well, how can we increase the number of conversations amongst our communities and make it a safe place for people to share some of these fears and talk about their stories and experiences in a supportive environment where they don't feel judged, they don't feel embarrassed to speak up and their experience is actually valued and where they don't feel any less human or any less Australian for not knowing how to swim. Because obviously this is a cultural, you know, beach life as a culture is part of our culture in Australia and even New Zealand as well. So through the swim project, my mission is to increase the number of conversations around swimming and water safety and for people to be authentic and it is vulnerable. So I want people to be vulnerable to share these stories with each other and it's been through coaching some of my friends but also people who have been referred to me and people who have signed up through my website it's that initial conversation that I've had that's given me a little bit of an idea of their background but it's not until I've gotten to know them that they actually start to share more so their their initial story is not always the whole story and I think that that's been a beautiful thing that I've cultivated through the SWIM project and provided a safe platform for adults to talk about their experiences and know that they're in a, a really great environment, a really great community that's been built up over the last two years through friendship and through that, I guess it's like a that support and that willingness to push themselves outside their comfort zones and know that every time they turn up to the pool is a win. Every time they say yes to learning a new skill is a win. Every time they put their head under the water and blow bubbles or kick or swim one length with a board or maybe turn up to the pool and end up in the diving pool because the shallow pool's not available and it's an unexpected event, but they still get in because they know that I'm there. They know that, you know, I can provide them with the equipment to be safe and I can actually take them through that journey. But I am able to recognize how much I can push them at a certain time. It's not about doing 10 classes and pushing them so hard that it almost has the reverse effect. It's pushing them as much as they can go at a pace that they feel comfortable with. Because learning to swim, particularly with a fear, is scary. I just think that if teachers have that empathy, it's going to make that experience so much more positive for that, for that learner. And it's amazing to be able to make that difference because you can read what they're feeling 
you can read how far, like you said, how far you can push them or when you can push them. You know, some days, okay, it's not going to work. We're having a bit of a bad day. We'll just do what we're doing or come back a little bit. Or there's other days when you can say, okay, we're going into that diving pool where it's a bit deeper. We're going to really challenge ourselves and do it. And I think that's great that you can see that in people. And I was talking to another lady yesterday. It's about the empathy and developing and it's the service that we give to these people. A lot of people start swim teaching. They see it as a job, but they don't see it as a service that we're developing someone. Whether it be children, adults, we're getting them from where they started, point A, to a point B where they can actually swim and feel confident. And you're doing that with people people who are especially vulnerable and that's great to be able to pass that on yeah and even though I've only been doing this for the last two years that it's been the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life and that's why at the beginning of this year I made the decision to step away from corporate banking and put everything into this one project I believe in my vision and I believe I'm targeting a niche market so I have a very quite a unique way that I'm teaching and supporting my students my learners so but I, I know it's working. So I've had a total of 23 adults uh, sign up through the Swim Project program. And there have been many more that have expressed interest, but they haven't followed through. But, you know, maybe at some later stage they will. But those 23 adults that have progressed, it wasn't just 10 classes and they're done. They recognized that it was a good part of their fitness routine their core strength that they gained in the pool translated into other sports such as running or one of my one of my successful swimmers she's been swimming since April last year and she does yoga so she you know she's very very good at yoga does uh, a lot of uh, upside down balances and poses <laughs> that I can't even do <laughs> but she turns up every single week and gets in the pool and that progress even if it's one percent every week it's just so significant and the confidence that she's developed it was starting from scratch learning freestyle from scratch is not easy as an adult and then being able to have an unexpected lesson in the diving pool which is between three and five meters deep at the end of last year and without me even encouraging her at the end of the class you know, we started the class with a life jacket on, with a noodle, with flippers, and then we gradually pulled those away and she was swimming laps with the board. But then at the very end, she said to me, oh, I'm just going to jump in and do two laps of breaststroke, unaided, and off she goes oh, in the diving pool. And that was beginning of December last year. Um, and she'd only started her swim journey in April. So the the progress has been phenomenal. And at the one year celebration, we had a Zoom pool party, <laughs> online pool party <laughs> instead of my initial plan. But that online party was to recognize and celebrate those wins in the pool because every single one of those wins accumulate. And I know that my swimmers will then remember how, how they felt when they completed their first length or when they were able to, to kick in the torpedo position for 25 meters nonstop and, and be able to blow their bubbles um, consistently and not feel that they were running out of breath. You know, they'll remember that feeling and I want every one of my swimmers to experience the joy of swimming. 
I don't want it to be a negative experience, even if it's challenging or even if they turn up and maybe they don't feel like they went that well. It's not about one lesson. It's actually about accumulative wins over that period. And then when they feel like they're ready to maybe just keep swimming laps and maybe they don't need to keep going to classes necessarily, it's how do they then incorporate that into their long-term fitness routine. Yeah, it opens up a lot of doors. Esty, who was in the diving pool, she also went paddleboarding for the first time last year. So, you know, it opens the doors to a lot of other opportunities to experience other water sports. And I think if adults are always living life with a fear of water, they're going to plan all their holidays and weekend activities, avoiding anything to do with water, avoiding island holidays avoiding snorkeling avoiding and it's not a great feeling thinking you have to avoid something mm. I think it's a good feeling to know that you can face a challenge head-on knowing that you're equipped with the tools and knowing that you're competent so it's not just about you know trying it once and then going okay I'm ready to swim in the ocean it's actually about you know that that kind of that commitment and perseverance to get to that level. And, and that's what I'm really most proud of with my swimmers is that commitment that's shown in the water and then actually building that relationship with them. That's amazing. And to be able to give them that comfortable feeling as well, to know that you're there on that journey with them, I think it's fantastic. And then I can hear the passion coming from <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> I love it that you yeah, can be there with them and I had a thought when you said about your swimmer that just jumped in and did two laps of breaststroke in the deeper pool by herself without any aids. I had this image of you standing there and sort of thinking back of what your coach would have done in New Zealand. I imagine it would be that same sort of evolutional feeling of, yeah, he's done that for you guys and it's then been able to pay forward. Exactly. And, you know, my, my mum still swims. So my mum swims every week. She does her K and then she goes to lunch with her friend. So, you know, those skills that she's developed as, a, as an adult. So she would take us to swimming classes, um, you know, all three of my brother and sister and I take us to swimming classes every Friday and, and watch us swim and, and learn and receive those instructions. And then one day she thought, oh, I should be able to do that since I've, had that exposure I, I've listened to the coach myself even out of the water and thought I should be able to give that a go and then you know off she started so and and she's then been swimming the rest of her life every single week consistently so she's maintained that fitness and you know sometimes swimming you know the thought of getting in the cold water is not yeah. it's not the most pleasant thought and the pool that I swam at to teach uh it wasn't the warmest pool but and some of my swimmers started learning in winter <laughs> so I had to just applaud them because in the freezing cold in Melbourne they would still turn up to swimming oh. so that dedication the thing is you can't teach that you can't force someone to decide to learn to swim it has to be their decision it has to be when they're ready and so I hope that for the aquatic industry is that it's not just about getting the numbers through a certain program like a 10-week program and going okay we've got thousands of people through that program in a year 
I mean, that's great, but 10 classes, it's not enough. I've been swimming my whole life and even then I've had challenges in the water. So I hope that we find some innovative ways to actually encourage people to maintain those skills and continue to practice those skills beyond just a fixed program. But again, that can't be forced. Mm. It has to actually be nurtured and why my approach is, is nurturing that passion and nurturing that capability through building relationships. That's amazing. I'm, I think the same way in regards to there are fantastic programs and I'm regional coordinator for the Big Swim program, which runs in Victoria over the three weeks of January. And I've taught it for many years. And it's a fantastic program because it's available in a lot of pools. It's a very cost-effective program and it gets those people out when they could be on holiday or they could be at home and just out into the water, out in the sunshine, doing a physical activity and developing their life skill. And I just hope that people are then transferring and saying to them, okay, you're doing so well here. There's other options. You can continue your swimming lessons. They're great introductory programs. We need to then expand that into longer programs, getting them involved in other areas. And hopefully it's a starting block and then we just need to build. Exactly. And, you know, I, would, I just don't want anyone to be left behind. So if they got an opportunity to attend, you know, a subsidised program and, you know, gain those initial skills... If it's a class of 10 people and they may not progress as fast as the rest of the class, say nine people feel confident at the end of those 10 classes, but one person doesn't and they never return to the pool, then that's one person who's at greater risk of firstly not going back to classes and secondly, greater risk of drowning because they haven't gained that competence within that certain program that was made available. So I think it's really important that we pay attention to every single person that comes through these programs. And I, I know it's hard because it's, you know, it's a large numbers that, you know, some of the organizations like Life in Victoria or Oswim or um, are organizing, but I think it, it's about the individual. It's not about the masses for swimming it's actually about the individual and their swim journey and a negative experience it, it can deter them from swimming their entire life and potentially have a generational impact if that experience is so severe that it puts them off or they have that trauma they never recover from then it's it goes deeper and it can have an effect on children uh, future generations so for me it's always about that individual and you know what pace is best for them and what do they want to learn and how do they learn? What's their learning style? And being able to actually adapt to their needs. It's not a one method suits all. I think it's really important to actually, as a swim teacher, to still be able to adapt. So we have the skills to teach. We know what techniques are good and what's not so good. We know what to look out for and what to correct and how to correct it. But we need to be able to be a bit flexible and creative to ensure that it suits their learning style. And if something's not working, we need to find a different way. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, I think one thing that really struck me, I learned from the start of my swimming career, but it never sort of filtered through, I suppose, until a couple of years ago when I had a kids in my squad group and I was teaching them and one kid just couldn't comprehend what I was saying. And I thought I was saying it very clearly. And then I went to a conference and someone said, swimmer isn't understanding it. It may not be that they're dumb 
We can't straight away think that they can't comprehend it. It's the way we're teaching it and we need to teach it differently. And I went back the next season, as only over summer, and I went in and sort of found out more about that swimmer and related it in a different way and they got what I was wanting straight away and it just made such a difference. And I think we sort of don't, we see swimming and especially in some of these bigger organisations as a, we've got five in a class and I know that becomes efficient for a lot of people. We have these bigger classes, we've got a lot of people in there, but are they seeing the, the genuine person behind it and are they focusing and making sure that each person is achieving in their way, relating the topics and relating everything back to their individual individual needs and how they think exactly and everyone learns differently and like even my swim instructor he had trouble teaching me to dive you know he would still say the same thing to me every week I knew what I had to do but I just couldn't do it my dad actually took me to the pool to practice and all I did was practice diving for an entire hour with my dad and eventually I kind of got it I don't think it was perfect but I actually could do it better than before I went back to my swim class and off I dive and he was actually surprised (laughs) he saw me dive and he was like when did you learn how to do that (laughs) and I realized well actually it was my dad that took me on the side saw that I was having trouble with that particular skill and he was able to maybe just teach me in a different way or demonstrate it in a different way or just maybe it was just that he held my head down (laughs) I can't quite remember but either way someone else that may have just explained it or demonstrated it in a slightly different manner and all my frustrations that I had in the class of not being able to do it because I actually specifically recall because I was not good at diving I knew it like I knew I wasn't good at diving so I every time that we got to the diving part of the class I would automatically pull myself from the front of the class and I would place myself in second position because I felt I was not confident of that skill and I automatically lowered myself in the class and like I still remember thinking that and I automatically almost demoted myself even though my instructor didn't tell me to do that. He wanted me to go first. He didn't care that you know, my dive was was slightly flawed or it wasn't perfect. But once I mastered that skill, I didn't do that. I didn't hold back. <laughs> it's amazing how we can think of that ourselves, like how our brain takes over and we can just automatically say, no, we're not good enough. We don't see the bigger picture that you know, if we try or oh, we are good at swimming, it's just that one thing and we can just perfect it. And it's taken that time of taking you out of the group and doing it by yourself and of how it's just suddenly clicked for you and that's been able to develop and now you can reflect on it and see how that influenced you and how you can pass it on to others. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that particular story about learning to dive. I hadn't actually thought about that for a long time. It only just came to me now. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You know, that desire to to learn. I think as an adult, we want to learn different skills. We want to we want to try everything, you know, a little bit of everything. But sometimes our concentration and our commitment is a little bit, you know, we've got a short attention span. (laughs) So I think sometimes we get a little bit impatient with ourselves and we don't actually let ourselves enjoy the process. Swimming, it's almost more important to 
enjoy the journey, enjoy the process of learning as opposed to going, okay, I just want to be here. I just want to be able to swim 30 laps in, in 20 minutes or a K in half an hour. But I, I think that every single adult that come through my program, that they have initiated it. You know, I've just provided an environment and a platform and, and a relationship, but they're the ones that make that choice. They're the ones that turn up week after week, even if they don't feel like it. And that's really hard to do. So even I've gone, oh, I, I should go for a swim, but it's too cold. Or I should go for a swim, but I don't feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very easy to change your mind if you don't have someone consistently there. And some of my learners have said to me, oh, Jackie, I really didn't feel like swimming, but I didn't want to let you down. So I made sure that I turned up every week. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'd have conversations with them in the car on the way home. So or on the tram and I have to call out one of my students so there's a woman one of my Muslim friends Shamsia absolutely gorgeous young woman very motivated very passionate about women's rights and equality and making her voice heard and sharing other people's voices about certain issues in the world and she never had the opportunity to learn to swim but not only that she told me that she didn't feel comfortable in her own identity and her own skin and as a Muslim and of course when you go swimming everyone's in their swimwear and to be in your swimwear in the pool is probably the most vulnerable position you can be in and so she ordered this beautiful swimwear from the UK and she did eight classes and there was one lesson where she did a handstand in the water and then she actually flipped over and kind of did a somersault and when she came out of the water she had this huge smile on her face and she was so happy and every class I had with her would take the tram together to the pool and have a conversation about life it wasn't may not even be about swimming and then she'd get in the water and at the end of class I could never get her out of the water like she, <laughs> she loved it so much she just wanted to stay in the water having fun and that particular day when she did the handstand in the water she told me that that was such a big moment for her be able to go down under the water blowing her bubbles and then doing a handstand touching the bottom of the pool and not having that fear and I think since then when I've had conversations with her she's told me just how much more she accepts herself like she she's more confident being herself and being authentic and not fearing judgment or not fearing people looking at her because she's wearing a long swimsuit it, yeah. none of that matters the fact is she turned up week on week learning to swim and she loved it so she recently I spoke to her and she said that she spent quite a bit of time just sitting on the beach watching the the waves and she said that it was so calming for her and so for someone to go from having a fear of the water to being able to be near the ocean and for that have a calming peaceful effect on her is just so special and yeah I'm really excited for her because it's opened up a lot of doors and I think it just reiterates to me how unique every individual is and we need to respect their backgrounds and experiences that diversity is something that I promote amongst the swim project community 
And it's really important for me to reach the communities that may not necessarily have had the opportunity in their childhood to learn to swim. They, I know they have the, the desire to, but they were, maybe they were just waiting for the right teacher and the right opportunity. That's an amazing story. That, wow, to make such a difference in someone's life like that is, that's an achievement and an absolute round of applause for you to be able to do that. You should be so proud of yourself. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. To give her the confidence and like you said, it, it impacts her whole life. It's not just her swimming. And yeah, it can be a trying time for especially people of different cultures and coming into a country like Australia, whether you're born here or not. But to be able to give her that impact and that confidence to be able to go around and know who she is and have that confidence in herself, that just an amazing achievement that you've brought to her. And, you know, she's become a very good friend. And I didn't even know her before she joined the swim project. She was actually referred to me by a friend and we we just had so much fun. And the other thing was a testament to her was she actually lived Dandenongs and we were swimming, swimming in South Melbourne and she worked in the city. So we'd catch the tram together to the pool. But afterwards, she would have to catch a tram back to the city and then another train out from Flinders. And this is in the evening. So had a long day at work or been studying and she would still come to the pool every week and then make like an hour and a half train ride back to her house. That's a very big ask for someone who is studying and doing part-time work as well to fit in learning to swim in the evening. It's a, it's a big commitment. And that was a huge testament to her. And I made sure that because I knew she was traveling a lot, I wanted to make sure she had company. So I'd actually take the tram back into the city with her. And then I would go back home from there instead of kind of taking a shortcut just to give her some company. But that time was so valuable because it made us closer friends. We got to know each other better. And that friendship will continue beyond swimming. So proud of her. And that in just one year, like I can't believe, I actually can't believe how how much has happened, how many wins there have been in the pool, how many stories have kind of eventuated out of this and, and testimonies. But also for me personally, at the beginning, I kind of was thinking, okay, I've got a full-time job. I'll do this as a passion project and just take it slow. And, you know, I wanted it to be a sustainable model. And part of my model is to donate a portion of the profits to Roll Life Saving Global Drowning Fund. Oh, wow. So by doing that, it's actually providing the funds to support high-risk communities in Southeast Asia or parts of Asia, which Rural Life Saving actually have programs over there. So it might be to support the building of creches to ensure that kids don't wander off and fall into a body of water when their parents are working. Or it could be to fund swim education programs in those areas where there is a high drowning rate. So that's been part of my model from the beginning. And I'm really passionate about not only addressing the drowning risk locally, but addressing the global health issue which exists. And that gravity of the issue was highlighted to me quite significantly when I attended the World Conference for Drowning Prevention in South Africa in October last year. So it was an incredible experience, which Rural Life Saving generously, they invited me to attend and I was blown away. But 
with that opportunity to to join so many experts over there and discuss this issue. And the beautiful thing was that it was a convergence of over 600 delegates from all over the world and hosted by the World Health Organization. So I was exposed to so many experts in the field from across the aquatic industry, but also more broadly on a health spectrum. And there were aquatic educators, researchers, health experts, university lecturers, and, and life-saving representatives. So I really, I learned so much from that experience and it took me deeper into the issue and to have a forum to be able to discuss the solutions that were being tabled and what the most urgent areas globally um, that needed to be addressed from a government level, not just a local level. And so on a global scale, the World Health Organization estimates there's more than 360,000 drownings a year, and that is conservative. So I believe when I read the research, it actually excludes the refugee boat crossings, the drownings that occur then. It excludes natural disasters and it excludes intentional drownings like suicides. So actually extremely serious and Mm. it was quite sobering. But then at the same time to be in a room full of people that were so passionate to solve this problem and that were committed, you know, to being collaborating and working with universities and people across different industries and wanting to raise their voice collectively to governments and those organizations that actually have the ability to put policies in place or to provide funding or to move that dial forward to ensure that the trends actually go down instead of increasing. And obviously there's also the impact of climate change on people's living situations around the globe. So it's not just a matter of learning to swim or providing swim classes. Some people don't even have a roof over their head or they're forced to collect water from a natural body and bring it back to their homes and they end up with buckets of water to wash with or to cook with and the kids fall into those into the water at home so the diversity of issues that are present right now can be quite overwhelming and so when I came back from that conference I just felt more motivated and more convinced that what I'm doing and my vision for the swim project and my heart for people is unique and is very meaningful and impact driven. It's not just about learning a soft skill or it's not just about having fun. Like, yes, I want to make it fun, but I want to make sure that people really are educated and understand the risks and to ensure that people are talking about it. It has to be a conversation amongst families. It has to be a compulsory subject at school. Water safety education, those stories need to be shared. We can't leave anyone out and across the globe, we need to make sure that we reach, you know, those communities that where they're experiencing high numbers of drownings and some of them aren't even being reported. So it was concerning, you know, Mm. when I realized the gravity of the issue. But when I pull back from that, like I said before, it's about the individual. So if I'm impacting within my circle, I'm impacting 10 people, 
then there's 10 more people that can then have conversations with their friends and that's going to multiply. So yeah, I, I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to, um, to go to South Africa and to be a part of that. And not only that, but then tag on a safari tour after. Oh, wow. is, I've, I'm also very grateful that I've had people around me, whether it's business coach or personal coach or mentor, and even my ex-colleagues who have believed in me every step of the way, because there's no way I would have been able to develop the swim project and expand my vision for it. Even just a few months down the track, my vision for, for my business has expanded so much more greatly. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without those people around me who believe in me wholeheartedly. And not only that, they, they actually speak to my potential. They don't speak to me where I'm at now. They are someone that I can bounce ideas off, but then they just plant these kind of little seeds of creativity or plant this little idea or opportunity and kind of almost wait for me to, to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's when my no becomes a yes. And I've seen that throughout my life. I, I actually had a fear of public speaking. I, I haven't, it's been something that I haven't enjoyed. I've had to almost force myself to do it and push myself outside my comfort zone. And the person that invited me to do it left the idea there and for me to ruminate on. And I had that conversation with her on a Thursday and I originally said no because of the public speaking fair. Then that Saturday I was at the pool teaching and I was telling them to put their heads under the water and they were four-year-olds and I was telling them, you know, put your heads under the water and blow bubbles and look into the mirror and make faces. And there was a couple of the kids that were scared to put their face in the water. Yeah. And I was thinking, don't be scared. It's okay. You can, you can do it. I had this personal epiphany and I was like, oh my goodness, here I am teaching kids and adults to swim and face their fears. And when an opportunity is presented to me, I'm the one that says no. And, and I was like, wow, there's no way that I can say no now because I'm here. This is my mission to encourage people to face their fears. Yeah. <laughs> I had to actually put myself in their shoes and go, okay, well, therefore my no has to be a yes. And I have to figure out how to face my fear myself yeah. because I can't yeah. tell people you have to say yes, but then I say no when, when I have to face my fear. And so <laughs> that was a huge revelation yeah. for me. And since that moment, I made sure that I signed up for a course and I was surrounded by people who were inspiring and who also, you know, wanted to improve their public speaking skills. And it took me to a whole nother level because I was facing that fear myself. And I knew that if I wanted the Swim Project to succeed, and if I was going to put in 100% into my business, in order to succeed, I have to face my fears. Uh, there's no way that I can do this. And to reach its potential or to maximize the impact that I want it to have without doing this first. So the last six months, have I've been focused on my own personal development 
Scotland outside of the pool and learning how I can then translate that into the pool and my coaching and into being part of a podcast. (laughs) This is not something I would have imagined that I would be doing a year on from launching the swim project. So thank you for this opportunity because it's such a, a special part of this journey and it's such a privilege to be able to share my experience with with everyone are you crying (laughs) (laughs) very emotional type person (laughs) oh wow that's amazing and that's exactly what I wanted to do with this podcast was the voice put people's voices out oh my gosh you really hit me (laughs) this is the first time that I've actually spoken in this kind of forum about the swim project and previously it was more in a speech format but you know it was it was only a couple of minutes but this is probably the you know the most that I've shared about my story and that also has been something that I've been developing through my personal coaching and previously talking about myself was hard like talking about my story talking about my own experiences and and what I've learned I found that hard and so even just having this conversation with you it's actually a huge moment for me (laughs) that's amazing Um, and I know I told my coach that I was having an interview for a podcast and she was so happy and shared it with my swim community and hopefully I can share the final interview with them and definitely in. so yeah like I said swimming swimming for me has just been just an incredible journey and it takes a leap of faith to be a swim teacher because it's not just about a part-time casual job you have the opportunity to speak into these kids' lives or speak into adults' lives. And you are a leader. You're in the pool. You're a leader. You have their attention, or at least you try to maintain their attention. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's when I was coaching kids and even as adults, it's 45 minutes of their week. It's not long. And you have 45 minutes to hold their attention long enough to extract your knowledge and to hopefully see them produce those results and to gain that confidence in themselves. So what was the journey you took to become a swim teacher? After I met the woman who had that traumatic experience when I was met her at paddleboarding, by the time her no became a yes, I had signed up for the OSWIM Teacher of Swimming and Water Safety with the aim of having that qualification by the time her classes started so that I was in the best possible position to teach her. <laughs> the funny thing was that the course was in May, but there was the OSWIM conference that was the weekend before my course. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm not a teacher yet, but if I go to the Oswim conference, it'll probably reinforce my decision to do the teacher qualification. And that way I can do a bit of networking. I can get a better idea of what I'm in for yeah. <laughs> and um, learn, learn from you know, other teachers and get myself ready. And so I turned up to that conference and the standard questions that people ask is, how long have you been teaching for and where do you teach? And my, my answers were, I'm doing my teacher's qualification next weekend. 
and I've started my own business. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Completely different. (laughs) So nothing about my swim teaching journey has been the norm or I guess the, the standard route. It's all been quite sudden and quite surprising that that's kind of the feeling I had when I became a swim teacher it was almost like not accidental but it was just not expected and so after I did my qualification I worked on the weekend so I just did Saturdays and I worked from like 12 to 6 on top of my full-time job during the week and then I actually started my program it was like the trial program I asked my students to give me feedback. And at the end of the first term, all I wanted was some feedback. And I asked if they would make a donation to the Global Drowning Fund. And I was working full time. I was running the program in the evenings, probably once a week. And then the whole Saturday, like from 12 to 6, I was teaching at a local pool, gaining my experience. When I handed my CV in to look for a job, I had no idea where to work or I just, um, but I was actually part of a swim squad yep. by myself oh, well. uh, to improve my own, my own technique. I remember I actually enjoyed it and I thought, oh, it'd be good to get back into ocean swimming eventually, yep. but but not a 4.6k swim. Yeah. <laughs> <Done a bit laughs> <small>. <laughs> that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> um, and I ended up having a chat with my swim coach. And when I mentioned that I wanted to become a teacher, she said, oh, you should apply at the swim school because we're always looking for teachers. And it was also close to where I live. So I sent my CV off and I got a job offer within 10 minutes. Oh my gosh, wow. (laughs) And so not only did they say, yep, you can do your training hours with us, but they said in the same email, you can have a job at afterwards. <laughs> so wow. I continued working. I continued working for them, teaching kids for three school terms. I have to say, starting off coaching kids, or even at the same time as coaching adults, I learned so much from them because when you're in the pool as a teacher, it's not about you. Mm. It's not about what you can gain. It's not, I mean, you're doing a job. But it actually goes further than that. And it's actually about how can you use this 45 minutes or half an hour in the most creative and engaging way that will make the kids want to come back to swimming the next week. And I just, I just remember how encouraging the kids were to me. It was almost like they supported me through my teaching journey because they were also patient with me at the very beginning when I was a bit overwhelmed with learning all their names, you know, and I might have <laughs> eight in a class and I was like, how do I remember each name? And you're going from class to class. So you're completely exhausted at the end of it, but you have to be so switched on when you're there. You, you can't lapse in concentration. You can't be thinking, oh, what am I going to have for dinner? You have to be so switched on and you have to bring your A game because the kids are dependent on you and the parents are dependent on you because they're not necessarily giving them extra swim classes outside of the pool. They might not have a pool at home. They may not go on holidays where they're exposed to the water or they may just not know how to teach 
So when they bring the kids to the pool, they're actually entrusting us as teachers and as educators to instill that knowledge and that confidence in their kid. And that's a huge responsibility. I hope that every teacher that gets in the pool with their kids is present in the class, fully present and prepares for the lesson. You know, so you have a huge impact, like life impact on that person. Some of the feedback that I got back then from the kids, I remember there was, um, there was a boy, I think he was four. And my first class with him, he was so scared of the water and quite timid. He was so scared that he would grab my hair and just cling to me like he would like just hug me and grab me in the water and it took me quite a while for him to relax and he would consistently say to me don't let me go I want you to hold me don't let me go so if I was helping him to float he needed that reassurance he needed that physical contact and it, it took me a while to kind of coax him off holding on to me and instead having the reassurance of board and knowing that he had the same support and that I was close by. And you know what? <laughs> by the end of my time with him, the words, the sentences and the tone that was coming out of his mouth was not, I need you, I want you to hold me, don't let me go. It actually was... I can do it on my own. Wow. You don't have to hold me. I can do it on my own now. I'm okay. And to see that transformation was so rewarding. And I think it helps that he had a consistent teacher. I remember there was three of them in the class. I gave them noodles and we had a race and they just were kicking with the noodle. And I used it to distract them from the fact that I wasn't holding on to them. Yeah. And I made it into a game. And he loved it so much that he was laughing his head off in the pool <laughs> and having this little dialogue with one of the other boys in the pool and kind of like racing against each other and having fun. And I think that's all they need us to do. And mm. adults as well. I think we sometimes we forget adults also want to have fun in the water yeah that's <laughs> right know, I've tried to translate that creativity into my adult swim classes and using different core drills in the water for example like starting the class by doing high knees in the water so we'll do half or half laps of high knees we'll do star jumps and then we'll do lunges in the water they don't have to put their head in the water first go kind of get warm in the water get the heart racing <laughs> get that blood pumping through their body and you can kind of catch up and have a conversation at the same time so win-win <laughs> yeah that's right I always say to my students I won't make you do anything that I wouldn't do <laughs> I do that, that all the time I say it to the kids <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't if I know you couldn't do it if I didn't believe in you I wouldn't. Yeah. but oh I can't yeah. 
So that's the end of our part one in our two-part series. I'd really like to thank you for listening and I hope you've got a lot out of this first part. Come back on Friday to hear our second part and to continue hearing about Jacqueline Wong's journey and that will be on Friday the 22nd. She delves a lot more into her journey, into the swim project, what she wants to get out of it and, and her journey to developing the swim project. So I'll catch you on Friday to learn more about Jacqueline Wong. She's done a great amount of work. See you on Friday.